नमो भगवतो अर्हतो सम्मा नमो भगवतो अर्हतो सम्मा नमो भगवतो अर्हतो सम्मा Without having overcome these five, it is impossible for one whose insight thus lacks strength and power to know their own true good, the good of others, and the good of both. Nor will he be capable of realizing that superhuman state of distinctive achievement, the knowledge and vision enabling the attainment of the noble ones. This is a direct quote from the Buddha. And the Buddha is speaking to us about these five. What are these five? This is what I'm going to spend the next two days talking to you about. When I came years ago, when I came here to this jhana retreat, it was a nine-day retreat at the time. And... The first five days, you never heard one word about first jhana, second jhana, third jhana, fourth jhana. For five days, Bhanteji talked about the hindrances. I was able to be at a talk with another well-known monastic, Ajahn Brahm. He did an hour and a half talk on the jhanas. He never mentioned the word jhanas once. What does that tell you? about the jhanas. What is the most important thing to know? Where do you start? I mentioned this a little bit yesterday in the introduction talk. You start with fully understanding and knowing these five hindrances. When Bhante wanted me to do some talks for this retreat, I told him, sure, but I have to talk about the hindrances. The reason being is because I don't really have any jhanas, but I have lots of hindrances. <laughs> so I have a lot of experience working with them, and I can talk to you about that. So what's the Pali word? The Pali word is nivarana. This um, directly translates as obstacle or hindrance. And what is it an obstacle or hindrance to? It is a direct hindrance to the development of the mind, towards the tranquility, calm, and peace of the mind. I'm going to go over the five in brief right now. Um, Tomorrow's talk is going to be a much more detailed version of what these five hindrances are. The first one is kamachanda. This means sensual desire. You could translate it actually as the intention to chase after sensual desires. The Buddha says that there is a flood of sensual pleasures. He uses the word uh, kamoga. Oga means flood. So there's so many things 
that we can experience through our senses that are pleasurable. And indeed, it is important to understand that when we talk about sensual here, um, when we're talking about the Buddha and these teachings, you know, in, in modern parlance, sensual is uh, more connected with sexuality and these kind of things. Now, of course, that is part of sensuality. But sensuality here, when we talk about these teachings, is the of the senses. Eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, and mind. So any kind of pleasant experience that we can have, experiences, people, places, things, whatever, there is a flood, there's an innumerable amount of these experiences. So much so that we can't we can't experience it all in one lifetime. So this is the first of the hindrances, sensual desire. The second is vyapada, which means ill will. This is where aversion comes in, dislike having to deal with the things that we don't want to deal with, the things that aren't pleasant. People, places, experiences, whatever phenomena we can have an experience of that we don't like. That generates that aversion and ill will. The third is Tinamidda, which means usually translated as sloth and torpor. This is a mental and physical um, laziness, mental and physical tiredness. Those of you who've been meditating for a while, maybe you can sit down and meditate and your mind isn't going a mile a minute then you realize once it's not going a mile a minute, all of a sudden you start to feel really sleepy. The mind gets nice and peaceful and you start moving towards oblivion. <laughs> That's sloth and torpor. The next one, udacca kukucha, which means restlessness and worry. This is the monkey mind. This is the mind going from tree to tree. Now, going from thought to thought, not being quiet, restless, always moving. And the last is vichikicca, which is doubt or skeptical doubt. So these five are what is to be subdued for the to set the groundwork for jhana to arise you don't totally destroy these when you get into jhana you've only temporarily subdued them because their roots go deep actually 
they're not only hindrances, but they're also defilements. All of them except for uh, sloth and torpor. I don't know if that's one. But so these go very deep. You can't just destroy them right away. You don't actually until you've become a non-returner. But what you can do is you can practice understanding them and subduing them so that jhana can arise. The important thing to understand is that the hindrances, even though they hinder you, the hindrances are actually your friend. What you don't want to do is get very averse towards the hindrances and say, oh, these things, I hate these things. I want them to go away. Because if you do, then they're not. <laughs> That's Vyapada right there. The hindrances are your friend. Why? Because they show you your craving. When you are following your breath, and 10 seconds from the time you started following your breath, guess what? You're gone. Your mind is somewhere else. A thought's arisen. I want some ice cream or whatever, right? There's your hindrance right there. It's taking you away from your breath. Right? And what are you supposed to do when that happens? You get really angry. Oh, man, you're so horrible. You're a bad meditator. These things, you know. Or do you just acknowledge it's there, practice letting go and coming back to the breath, right? These hindrances are our teachers. They are showing us what our mind is like. They're showing us how our mind works and they're showing us our craving and our desires. This is not a matter of <clears throat> simply pushing them away or trying to avoid them in some way. Another important thing to know about the hindrances is that they're not forced on you by some outside external force. Nobody came over and said, ah, now you have five hindrances. The hindrances are actually created by you. You've set the groundwork for those hindrances by your mental and physical actions in the past. And sure, that might kind of sound a little scary that you have to kind of take responsibility for your hindrances. But the important part of taking responsibility for your hindrances is understanding, well, okay, if I set the groundwork for these to arise, I can set the groundwork for them to cease. And so once you know that, then you can actually work with the hindrances. You can come to know the hindrances. And I'll give you a little cheat sheet from how you come to know the hindrances. It's a very easy cheat sheet. You can practice this for the rest of the retreat. Buddha says, to abandon these five hindrances, one should develop the four frames of reference, the four establishments of mindfulness, the four foundations of mindfulness, however you want to translate it, satipatthana. So now you know, the talk's over, get practicing. <laughs>
<laughs> or you can come to the four establishments of mindfulness retreat in a couple months. So if you know the, the Noble Eightfold Path, right? the seventh factor of the Noble Eightfold Path is right mindfulness. Right mindfulness is Satipatthana. It's the four establishments of mindfulness. And then the final, number eight, the eighth factor of the Noble Eightfold Path is Samasamadhi, right concentration. And guess what right concentration is? The jhanas. Buddha says that the eighth factor of the Noble Eightfold Path is supported by all of the other factors. So when you practice right samadhi, when you practice to get to the jhanas, this is how you do it, by following those other factors of the Noble Eightfold Path. And specifically, as the Buddha says here directly, following the four establishments of mindfulness. Some of you might not know what that is, or maybe you're hearing it for the first time. I don't have enough time in a one hour talk to talk about the hindrances and go deep into the four establishments of mindfulness, but I can give a brief overview. The Buddha speaks to us about establishing our mindfulness in four aspects of our psychophysical organism. The first is the body. And the Buddha gives many um, contemplations and meditations to practice, to come to a full understanding, true understanding of what this body is. One of those is mindfulness of breathing, following your breath. Understanding the body in its four postures. Uh, having clear awareness of what you're doing at all times, as I mentioned in the, uh, the little mindfulness of eating talk this morning. Then um, examining the 32 parts of the body, so understanding the parts of the body, understanding the elements of the body, and understanding the decomposition of corpses, well, our favorite topic. <laughs> Something that can be, whoa. But this is... The Buddha is wanting us to put our mindfulness on this body. What is the reality of this body? Right? <clears throat> and when we do that, that's the first step of working towards subduing the hindrances. Because we're not getting wrapped up in all of these, the sensual desire and all of these things that are going to take us away. Besides the body, the next thing is to understand feeling. And by feeling here, we don't mean I feel depressed, I feel sad. Uh, this is a what you call the hedonic tone. This is the direct feeling of the body having a pleasant, painful, or neither painful nor pleasant feeling. You can say neutral feeling. <clears throat> and so you're examining while you're sitting down something arises this pain arises is it a pain is it a pleasurable or a painful feeling right 
So you're examining the feeling itself. The third is examining the mind. This is the general tone, the general state of the mind. And as as I'm going through this, you might see um, a lot of similarities to how I taught you how to practice mindfulness of eating, because that was Satipatthana too. So when you have a feeling, when you have some kind of experience, what is happening to the mind? (coughs) What does that do to the mind? What arises? What kind of a, when you have a pain in meditation, what mind state arises because of that? What's the general tone of the mind when that experience is happening? And also what thoughts arise because of that? You know, because you can watch and observe how the interplay between the mind and body works. You have an experience, you have a feeling, from that feeling usually is some kind of a, of a desire, either to want more of it or to run away from it. That has an effect on your mind and your thoughts. So you're continuously watching these things and observing these experiences in your mind and in your body. The fourth one is examining and observing dhammas. <clears throat> this has been translated many ways, um, mind objects, phenomenon. Um, but in this section, the Buddha gives us um, explains us to examine our experience within the framework of these various frameworks that he gives. Not coincidentally, one of those things is the five hindrances. So the five understanding the five hindrances is right in four foundations of mindfulness. Examining our experience through the five aggregates. Examining our experience uh, in relation to the noble, um, the four noble truths, the seven factors of awakening, etc. So these four, if you haven't ever studied or listened to, um, there's lots and lots of stuff you can go on YouTube um, and just Google it. Many, many monks on YouTube talking about four foundations of mindfulness. Bhante G has a whole book about it. <laughs> Four Foundations of Mindfulness in Plain English. So this is a very, very important tool in subduing the hindrances so that we can develop jhana. And to do this, we need, excuse me, we need careful attention. Part of practicing this four foundations of mindfulness, part of abandoning the hindrances or subduing the hindrances is carefully observing them. Pali word is yoniso manisakara. Yoniso means wisely, means properly. Manisakara means to consider. So when you practice understanding the five hindrances, 
you practice bringing your mindfulness to them as they arise, using your mindful, your wise consideration in understanding them, noting their characteristics. And again, I want to read directly. This is the Buddha's direct um, direct a uh, the Buddhist direct way how to practice how to know the five hindrances herein when sensual desire is present in them they know there is sensual desire in me or when sensual desire is absent they know there is no sensual desire in me they know how the arising of sensual desire comes to be they know how the rejection of sensual desire comes to be. And they know how the non-arising of this comes to be in the future. So what is that? And of course, that's only the first. So this repeats for all five. So <clears throat> what you're doing when you're practicing, when one of these hindrances comes up you're not trying to push it away right? you're actually supposed to know it you're actually supposed to understand it fully delve into it know okay it's arisen I can see that it's in my mind how did it get there yeah. oh it's in my mind okay well what do I do to abandon it what do I do to allow it to leave my mind. So the Buddha wants us to know it, to really use our mindfulness to fully understand what these hindrances are. Because when you, <clears throat> if you don't know it, if you don't know how it arises, well, it just kind of came up. Well, then you can't do anything about it. Right? If you don't know what to do to <clears throat> keep it from coming up again in the future, or once it's arisen, how it ceases. If you don't know any of that, then you're powerless to the hindrances. They can do whatever they want to you. The Buddha uses a <clears throat> simile sometimes of a strong man uh, handling a weak man they can do whatever they want to the to the weak man because they, they're so strong so that's like the hindrances can have their way with you because you don't know all of these things related to them you don't know the hindrances and the only way you know it is not by reading it in a book but it's by watching it in your own experience understanding it in your own experience when ill will arises, why, why does it arise? When it ceases, how did it cease? Fully understanding this, investigating the hindrances. This is how you set the groundwork for jhana to arise. Because once you fully understand them, well then you can have their your way with them. You can say, okay, well, I've worked with this before. I know what techniques or I know what tools I need to use 
so that I can abandon this hindrance, so that it doesn't have any power over me, or at least not as much power as it used to. And so then I can concentrate my mind and practice, and then jhanas can arise. So this is the importance of understanding this. The Buddha asks us to examine three things in all of our experiences. The gratification, the danger, and the escape. The gratification is, you know, sensual desire or ill will. It comes in, you know, you have that experience. Oh, it's kind of nice. I like it. There's, there's some gratitude, there's some gratification that comes from it. Right? And that, that will keep us wanting to be wrapped up in it. The danger is, though, not only that it can change, but the danger is, well, what does that, um, what does that mind state, how does that leach out into your actions? How does it affect your life and the life of the people around you? Do you act in skillful ways or unskillful ways? Ways that are beneficial to yourself and others or ways that are harmful to yourself and others? Going back to the initial quote that I said, the Buddha said, you don't know, you cannot know what is for the good of yourself and for the good of others because you're wrapped up in all of these mind states. So this is the importance of understanding the danger and the escape is always the letting go of the craving related to it. So gratification, danger, and escape. It's another way of understanding the hindrance, why it arises, understanding your motivations related to it. You know, sometimes it feels really good to want to keep anger in our minds, right? Or sometimes it feels really good to just be totally enraptured by sensual pleasures. <clears throat> but that's not, that's only half the story. That's the gratification. What's the danger? As you practice, as you're not only while you're sitting in the cushion, <clears throat> but while you're driving, while whatever you're doing, however, whatever you're doing in your life, work, family, home, whatever, you can pay attention to what's going on in your mind. You can pay attention and watch as the hindrances arise and as they pass away. And as you do that, they say knowledge is power, right? That's, that's, not just knowledge, reading in the book knowledge, that's experiential knowledge, understanding how your mind works. And the more you do that, the more power you have over it. Or I should say maybe the less power it has over you. Because you understand. <clears throat> and this also, you can see the three characteristics of existence when you observe. When you're observing something with mindfulness, with vipassana, you can see that this is impermanent. Whatever this state that has arisen in my mind, it's not going to be there forever. It's also conditioned, meaning that it came because of a cause. It didn't just magically pop up out of nowhere. There was a cause, even if you can't see it. And a lot of times, maybe the cause is so deep we can't see it. 
but we can, the more we examine, the more we investigate, the more we can see how our actions set the groundwork for these to arise in the future. And so you can also see how they cause suffering. That's the second characteristic of existence. Dukkha. How getting wrapped up in these things, becoming attached to them, allowing them to have their way with us, causes us and others around us suffering. And then when you look deeply, it would be hard to find some kind of a permanent self or permanent me in these things. Are the hindrances me? Is this my ill will? Is this my sloth and torpor? Right? This is all understanding the hindrances with mindfulness. Understanding, really coming to know these hindrances. The Buddha gives many, many similes regarding what the hindrances are. One of the prominent ones is, he uses the simile of a river. A river that's split into five rivulets, I guess you'd call it. Right? The power of that river is diminished. It's split up into five. But when it comes back together, it has that single force. All of the rivulets have come back to one river. That's also a simile for the power of one-pointedness, which is, you know, what, uh, which is a factor of jhana, where the mind is able to become so concentrated on its object that the hindrances may be trying to poke in, but they, they can't because the mind is so rock solid. It's like that stream, like that, that one river, as opposed to the five rivulets, which can be easily swayed, easily manipulated. <clears throat> so that's a simile for what the hindrances can do and also what the mind can be like without the hindrances. The Buddha gives another simile of, he says, there are five, five impurities of gold. He's talking about somebody who smelts gold. <clears throat> and five things that if you put in gold would make it not very malleable, hard to work with, not as desired. And it's like nickel and iron and all these things, right? And so he, the Buddha compares these impurities of gold to the hindrances. He says, just as, just as this, there's these five impurities of the mind that cause the mind to be not malleable, not controllable, that defile and disturb the mind, keep you from peace and deep states of concentration. 
And so the Buddha also gives a series of similes when, what is the mind like when the hindrances are subdued? When there are, the hindrances are temporarily subdued, not there anymore. The first one that he gives is, it's as if a person who was engaged in trade took out a loan. So they became in debt. And then after a time, they were able to pay off the loan. And they were able to, with their business, to pay off the loan and to make enough so that they could start a family and have a life and things like that. So the first one you can think of is being in debt, right? All of us probably have some form of debt, maybe a car payment or maybe student loans, maybe something more. Some of us maybe have had that experience of having that paid off and that feeling of, it's not on my back anymore. I don't have this heavy load that I'm carrying around anymore. I'm free from debt. The Buddha gives it, that's the example of what it's like when the hindrances are subdued. Your mind is free from sensual desire and ill will and all of these things. Ah, this nice peace and tranquility and calm. The other is as if a person was sick, very, very sick and in lots of pain. And then eventually that person were to get better. They were to be free from that sickness. What's it like if you have the flu or something like that? And then you finally get better. It's like, oh, it's so much. It feels nice to have a normal body again, right? This body that's not, I don't feel so miserable and all these things. So it's like being freed from sickness. <laughs> the other one is being thrown in prison. You've been, you're, you've lost your freedom. You've been thrown in prison. And then eventually you are let out. So that feeling of being imprisoned and being let out of prison. And the other one is, is if you were a slave. So you don't have, you don't have self, you don't have any ability, any ownership of yourself. And then you were to be free. Another is if person is crossing the desert and they go through this period of where they don't have water and they're having all of, you know, all of the issues that you know, we can understand of crossing the desert. And then finally they make it to an oasis. Right? So you, you get the, the gift here. This is what the, the Buddha is, is giving us these really, really strong examples of this is what the hindrances do to us and this is what it's like when we're free of them right when they are not in control of us at least temporarily when we've been able to subdue them some of you some of you who've been meditating for some time you may have been able to have that kind of experience of maybe your mind is very you know, you're in lots of ill will and anger and you're able to kind of observe and see what that mind state feels like, what the state of your mind and all that. 
and then maybe you're able to apply some meta or something like that and then you can watch as your mind lightens up becomes free and then you feel very peaceful and calm like ah you don't even have to go into jhanas to experience a little bit of this you can see that if you're watching your mind and you can see the difference between that mind the two mind states and how it feels from one to the next right? you can just just in that little example you can get a glimpse of this um, what the Buddha is talking about when we have subdued the hindrances and so he says but when these five hindrances are abandoned they consider themselves free from debt rid of illness emancipated from the prison's bondage as a free man and as one arrived at a place of safety now this is the this is the key here and when he sees himself free of these five hindrances joy arises that's sukha and in one who is joyful rapture arises that's piti those of you who know something about the jhanas you might know those are two of the four factors of the first jhana so joy once you are free from the hindrances you can see that this joy and rapture just naturally arises it's not something that you that you go out and you grab and you take there's a wonderful sutta called volition where the buddha explains how in somebody who is free of you know somebody who has is free of restlessness or remorse does not have to wish may my mind be happy it happens on its own depending on those conditions so when you've worked on understanding the hindrances knowing the hindrances working with them and seeing them be subdued then because of that you've set the groundwork for piti and sukha to arise to come in one who is joyful rapture arises stilled happiness and concentration so that is my introduction to the hindrances tomorrow we're going to go over each one in a little bit more detail we're going to talk about how we nourish the hindrances and how we denourish the hindrances think about that that wording from the buddha the buddha is using it as in this is if you want to nourish it and make it grow stronger and and make it worse this is what you do if you want to denourish it if you want to set the groundwork for it to to be starved and to be gone this is what you do and so that's what we're going to go over tomorrow and so as you can see well you have a choice now you can practice understanding really coming to know like the back of your hand what these hindrances are and when you do that then they lose their power over you and you can develop those deep states of concentration which can be used as the basis for insight or deep insight notice how you're using insight the whole time whether you're sitting down and practicing concentration or not 
the establishments of mindfulness is the development of insight. So with that, I will call this talk done. And uh, if you have any questions, feel free to write it down and put it in the box. I'll answer at the Q&A tonight at 7. And uh, we can take a break and come back to meditate. Thank you.